Welcome to Our Value, the Insulators Podcast, brought to you by IDI Distributors. I'm Aaron Franzine, your host today, and you may be asking, why is IDI doing a podcast? Well, we're trying to get some industry information out there. We're trying to get some extra knowledge. We're going to be talking about some building science insulation products with experts. We're going to have some uh, amazing guests on here. One of them is today, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, I am joined by my two co-hosts today. Travis Pancake works out of our corporate office as a sales and training extraordinaire, and he's a 10-year IDI veteran. How you doing? What's up, Travis? Busy day. Yep, busy, busy. And then also joined by Chelsea Whitley. She has 10 years in SPF sales as an SPF sales professional and a year and a half with IDI. Yes, sir. Hello. What's up, Chelsea? Hey. 10 years, that's right, isn't it? Well, uh, close. We'll we're, round getting, up. we're getting there. Round, round up. up. Round up. Round up. So. Anyways, we have an amazing guest today, but before we get to that, I want to give a quick plug to our IDI service centers. So this is a new service that we've recently brought to the market. Um, Think of it as an auto mechanic for your spray foam equipment. So we have three locations currently, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Bozeman, Montana, and Boston, Massachusetts. Um, we have professionals there, and it's a it's a service station for foam foam equipment. You can bring your rig, anything you're basically willing to ship on a pallet, you can get a repair done on it. We'll get a quote out, and that'll get approved by the customer, and we'll turn it around and get you back up and running as soon as possible. Where can you find more about those uh, locations? Um, I would start with idi-insulation.com. Perfect. We have an amazing guest today. Um, She comes from a leader in the safety industry. She grew up in San Francisco, California and Lexington, Kentucky. She graduated with degrees in international relations and Spanish from Stanford University in 2003, as well as gaining her MBA at a little school called Harvard Business. She's a fifth generation leader in Bullard's 121 year history the CEO of Bullard, Wells Bullard. Welcome today. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. So what do you think of our facility so far? It's really awesome. I'm looking forward to the full tour, but what I've seen so far, this really cool podcast studio is pretty impressive. And yeah, the space is really nice and new and open. It's really, it's awesome. I'm excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's it'll be fun. This afternoon, uh, we're actually in the middle of a three-day training um, adventure. So we're going to have vendors today. This afternoon is kind of our vendor um, outreach with the new Bullard trailer, which we'll talk about that. Um, but first, we're going to do just a quick rapid fire. Just a couple spur of the moment questions, whatever comes to your head, just to get everybody loose. First thing up. that comes to your head. All yep. Right. So I'll go first, Wells. What is your favorite movie ever? The Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. I don't think I've seen that one. What? It's That's good. a great movie. I won't movie. spoil it for you then. I won't spoil it for you Guys then. are so safe. <laughs> exactly. Kobayashi. Awesome. Um, are you a dog or a cat person? 
Um, so I probably would prefer dogs to cats, but I'm I'm a goldfish person. Goldfish. I had a goldfish as a kid for six and a half years. Who what I was loved. his name? Cleo. Cleo. Yeah, and I loved Cleo dearly. Cleo yeah. moved from California to, to, to Kentucky with me. So. Made oh the move. Yes, yeah. lived six and a half years for a goldfish that I that's wanted. That's a really long time. I want to I want her at a fair. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, usually fish or birds or things don't make moves yeah. very and my, well. My parents swear they didn't replace her, that it was actually the same fish. All <laughs> Did you years. have a hard hat for it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Fish bowl. Speaking of hard hats, yeah. though, 100 year anniversary, right? 100 year anniversary. 1919? Exactly. Yeah, my great grandfather invented the first industrial hard hat 100 years ago this year. Wow, that's amazing. That's really awesome. Yeah, that's unbelievable. We just awesome. got these in today and they look awesome. Yay. Yeah, we had to showcase them because we're. Video recording for the first time. Um, if you were stranded on an island and could have only one thing, Wells, what would it be? One thing. So not one one person, but one People thing. don't count. People don't count. Um, a Kindle, probably, so that I could have all the books. Hopefully I could load it up before I got there and just read a lot. That'd be good. Our yeah. vendor yesterday said... Beer. Oh, <laughs> that's probably a better answer. That's a good one. Too. That's a very good answer. Yeah. You'll probably live longer with a Kindle, though, than beer. Yeah. Until the battery runs out. Right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, that's Solar powered Kindle. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Newest innovation by Boulder. Yeah, totally. Solar powered. <laughs> you never know. Um, are UFOs real or not? With all that, the. Fun Area 51 news lately. Do Are you, you going? believe in UFOs? Oh, I'm not going, but sure. What, what? I don't know that they're not real, so. Yeah. Right. My uncles and grandpa saw one at the same time. They swear really? that yeah. UFOs are real. And I trust them. They're, they're contract. They're, they're honest. Yeah, they're honest. They have no <laughs> reason to lie to me about anything And like you have that. really good beer in northern Minnesota. So <laughs> yeah. That might have had Were you ice fishing at the time? Was there some bourbon involved? Or? Uh, boy, there might have been. <laughs> Yeah, I could tell you live in Kentucky. Bourbon. <laughs> bourbon. Bourbon. You guys might say whiskey. <laughs> whiskey. Yeah, bourbon. Yeah. Um, so if you weren't the CEO of Bullard and you could pick any occupation in the world, what would it be? So if I weren't the CEO of Bullard, so I always say that I would have found another company just like Bullard and I'd be working there because um, I love what we do in terms of protecting people. But if I were in a totally different industry, I would probably be a diplomat. So I'd probably be living abroad. And I'd be a diplomat somewhere. That's a good one. That would Very be a, good. Yeah, that would be a great job. I don't think I've ever heard a kindergartner when asked what do they want to be. <laughs> diplomat. Diplomat. <laughs> I would like to be a diplomat. Um, okay. Well, we had a guy yesterday say senator. So. Oh, I would not want to be in politics. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into that. Religion and politics are off limits. Off. Not off. on this podcast. Our value. Um, so thanks again for, for being with us, Wells. We're excited to have you. Um, we're going to get into it a little bit. So you're a fifth-generation Bullard. We want to know a little bit about your family history and your lineage. Yeah. Um, so 1898 is when my great-great-grandfather founded Bullard, and we started as a distributor to the gold and copper mines in California and Nevada. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. So my great-great-grandfather was an entrepreneur, 1898, starting a company. His father-in-law 
had been a distributor following the railroad and had followed the railroad to New Mexico as it was being built and basically was a distributor to the railroad. And so my great-great-grandfather had seen that entrepreneurship and then uh, moved further west to California and started his own distributorship uh, for supplies. So acetylene, uh, carbide metal lamps, things like that for the miners uh, in California, Nevada. And then, uh, so that's, that's the founder. My great-grandfather, uh, his son, had gone off to World War I and was in France in the cavalry and was wearing one of those metal doughboy helmets that you see in all the movies. And he came back to California and to the mining business and said to his father, the miners here are just wearing these soft canvas caps. And yet I was in the trenches experiencing really similar hazards to what the miners are facing. But I had this, you know, metal helmet with a suspension and and all this sort of protection. And he's like, I feel like the miners are being underserved and they're not being protected. Metal's too expensive. It's also protecting against ballistics and things that they don't need protection from. But I think that I've got an idea of how to protect the miners better. And so he basically steamed, he created what was called the hard-boiled hard hat 100 years ago, and it was steamed canvas and leather with a pretty elementary suspension, a leather uh, brim, and it was shellacked with black paint, and that was the first industrial hard hat, and so it was adapted to really be cost-effective for the miners, uh, to be comfortable, also to protect them from falling debris and uh, and other hazards in the in the mines. And so that's when we became a manufacturer was with my great grandfather who led the company for, oh my gosh, I think only almost uh, 60 years. Wow. So he was he was an inventor and he was a marketer. He was a jack of all trades, a real Renaissance man. And he uh, also invented our first abrasive blasting respirator. And that was during the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge. So 1919 is when he invented the hard hat. And in 1932, the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge was happening. And it was uh, the lead engineer on that project, Joseph B. Strauss, wanted a really safe work site because at those at that point in a bridge construction project for every million dollars, there was a death. That was the statistic. And this was a 40 million dollar project. And, you know, Strauss didn't think that 40 people should should die to, you know, get to Marin County from San Francisco. And so he had a safety net underneath the bridge and then all the workers were wearing bullard hard hats and he had a no showboat culture. So if people were caught kind of showboating, doing kind of cool things, standing dangerously, yeah, trying to be dangerous, uh, they were exactly fired on the spot and they were off, off the site. And so he worked, uh, San Francisco was a tiny town at that time. And so he worked with my great grandfather. He said, Hey Ed, can you adapt the hard hat to protect against falling rivets? And so my great grandfather did. And so while the workers are wearing these nice hard hats with their, you know, safety net, they are sandblasting the steel that had come from Pennsylvania that had rusted because it went around South America. And uh, they're breathing in this you know, sand, essentially the silica. And the lead engineer and my great-grandfather were like, this doesn't look good. My great-grandfather's like, I've got an idea. So put canvas, a piece of canvas over the hard hat, cut a window, put a piece of glass there, use the, what I'll just assume to be grade D uh, breathing air. It was, uh, 100%. Air, and uh, put that into the, into the essentially first uh, abrasive blasting respirator. And that's how we got into respiratory protection was on the Golden Gate Bridge. That's cool wow. history. Yeah. Right? It, it awesome. is. So the yeah. Golden Gate Bridge, I mean, that had Bullard products stamped all over it. I mean, Everywhere. some of the first hard hats, yeah. the respiratory systems. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's incredible. They're still a customer today, and uh, we're really proud of that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yes. That's an awesome story. That is very, very So not, not, to, not to be a downer, but... How many people did die on that project? Wasn't so, it still a lot? Yeah, what was the not statistics? Was, I think it was 11. I think 11, oh, really? I think wow. 11 people died on the project, and 10 of them died when the safety net failed. So the safety net caught them and then fell. So I think 10 died 
in the safety net failure. But again, it wasn't anywhere near the 40 no. uh, right, that right. would have been expected per the statistics of that time. Maybe great-grandfather should have designed the safety net, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like he was pretty good at that stuff. Maybe y'all should work on that. <laughs> New product innovation there. Yes. Um, well, my next question was going to be, which family member most inspired you? I'm going to guess it's your great-grandfather. Yeah, my great-grandfather. He's he's just, yeah, I never got to know him. He passed away before I was born, but uh, he seems like he was a pretty incredible person. And really, I think what's really pretty incredible is the way that he went about the business, right? So he made us a manufacturer, and the way that he went about the business was really watching workers doing their job. Right, so he was watching workers wearing his hard hats, doing their job of abrasive blasting. Well, and the inspiration for the helmet came from his oh, service in, in the war. Great so. point. So he had been himself a worker, a soldier, wearing this helmet, and so had experienced it. And then watching the miners and thinking, how do I protect them? And so that kind of uh, approach, I think, is still well. I know is still how we approach things today. So it's really about watching the worker, trying to see what problems need to be solved, and then solving for those. So I think that's why I think. Did he leave any like diaries behind or any paperwork that you've gotten to read or just kind of get some inspiration from? Or? I, I haven't found any of that stuff. I'll have to ask my dad if there's any sort of diary. I've got a really cool uh, schematic drawing of a hard hat in my office that he mm-hmm. did. You know, so one of the original, you know, pencil and paper drawings of a hard hat because um, he, you know, drew it and it's signed by him. Uh, right. Just one of the original schematic drawings, which is pretty cool. But no. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm sure he had. Some you know, stuff. just he always. Yeah. Maybe I'm too much of a movie watcher, but there always seems to be, you know, some sort of passed on documentation of things. Yeah. It would be kind of right. neat if there was some stuff like that. Yeah, and I think to, there was. Um, I think he was a great storyteller, and he was married to his wife, uh, Mama, for a very long time, and she passed right before I uh, right before I was born. But uh, there was a lot of storytelling. They were really fun people. I think they played the piano. They sang. They, you know, uh, entertained a lot. I think they were just really vivacious. So you're telling me, Wells, that they were safety-oriented and fun? Right, right. Is that what I just heard? It can happen. It can happen. It can happen. Wow, that's unbelievable. I just learned something. (laughs) (laughs) So were the the, uh, Golden Gate Bridge hard hats the same kind of like the hard-boiled like the sh- black shellac mm-hmm. or were you I mean you were manufacturing at that time yes. is that what was being manufactured was that same yeah so so it was adapted a little bit there were some uh, reinforced ribs that were added to the product for the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge to protect against those heavier I mean those rivets are really heavy and they were falling from high heights um, not the three rib trademark that oh. we have now but a different kind of the way that it was constructed was uh, was adapted for the bridge but um, yes we were absolutely manufacturing at that time and uh, we had machines there's this really awesome ad that I have uh, from 1925 which was my great grandfather like, we have machines so we decreased the price of the hard hats because we could make them more efficiently right. Yeah. and um, anyway I think that's a really incredible thing to just we, have, we machines. have machines now <laughs> we it's more technology. affordable right technology advancements and we're going to pass that on to the end user and yeah yeah that's awesome that's a good story um did you did you always know that you were going to have a career in the family business or was it uh like one day you woke up and it was just an you're you're enlightened and said i'm going to the family business Yes, what I'd say, I think my parents did a really good job. So my my dad was president and CEO when I was growing up. And they did a really good job of 
making sure that my brother and I felt that we were neither entitled to work at Bullard nor expected to work at Bullard. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important because what they wanted was for me to just pursue whatever I was interested in. And they wanted to enable me to be able to pursue the highest levels of education that I that I could and that I wanted to and to pursue my interests. So what I would say to that answer is that I didn't always know. Um, as a little kid, I think uh, people who worked with my dad would say that they could tell that I was very interested. I mean, I'm, I, I like to ask a lot of questions. And so as a kid, when I would walk around the factory, uh, I would ask a lot of questions. I'd be really engaged. And we have just the most incredible people. And they've been incredible to me since I was a little kid. Uh, and so just engaging with them was always fun and seeing the products. And I had a couple of favorite places I loved where we customized the hard hats. It's really fun to see all the logos go on and, and see kind of where they're going. And so I always loved that area. And then I also loved the quality lab where they would destroy, you know, where we try to test and destroy our products so that we know Research what they can. <laughs> exactly. So I always loved those those parts of the business and uh, and those parts of the plant tour, basically. You just got to see that, Chelsea. I did. It yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah. It is a amazing company. Yeah. Amazing people as well. Yeah, yeah. great people. Great the best people. people. Yeah, the, the folks people. we work with are they're fantastic. Um, yeah, the facility is awesome. I mean, there's some synergies I feel between IDI and Bullard being family owned yeah. and operated. Right. Kind of that culture that yeah. we we share as well. So it is. we really. I mean, when we talk about the Bullard family, it's not about the DNA. It's not about the bloodline. It's. I mean, it's everybody who works for Bullard and retirees from Bullard. I mean, it's the whole Bullard family because we all have a part of it. So I'm glad to hear that you guys think oh, our yeah. people and are you as could awesome feel as it. I do. Yeah. Like when you went there, you could feel it. You could feel the love. You could feel the energy. You could feel the people. They just loved what they did. That's so great. It was great. Really nice to yeah. I mean, just meeting you 20 minutes ago, your personality is pretty cool. Yeah. CEO. Yeah. I know. That's what I thought company. when I met her too. I'm That's like, really nice. you're a mom? Like, how is this happening? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so did you kind of come up? Did you have to sweep the floors? Did you have to work back in QA? Did you have to work in production? How did you sort of? Yeah. So I mean, to kind of answer your first question. So when I was in college, I became then really interested in thinking, wait, maybe this is really the career that I do want. Um, I love working with people. I absolutely love our mission of protecting people in hazardous work environments. And so I went to work for an industrial distributor uh, after college. And then I went to business school. And while I was uh, between my first and second year of business school, I came to Bullard. I was sure that I was going to go work somewhere else for the summer so that I could get exposed to something else. But then I also realized, wait, if I want to go to Bullard, I should probably test it out and see if it really is the right fit for me as an adult Mm -hmm. and if I'm the right fit for it. And so I worked as a team leader that summer uh, in head protection. So I was like a, a, a supervisor, essentially, in head protection for the summer. And we were working. We had crazy orders that summer. And so we were working 10-hour days, at least six days a week. I was exhausted. I was taking a nap halfway home, stuff like that. I was walking eight miles a day. And I loved it. It was my favorite. It was my favorite job until this one as the CEO. It was my, I just loved it. I was in the plant all day working with our awesome people, making our products, uh, helping to, you know, allow the production associates to be able to do their work in a, in a better way in terms of, you know, allowing them to focus on the task at hand while I removed some obstacles and stuff. And it was just really, it was really, really, really fun. That's the grind. You know, yeah, that's is. that's where you really learn yeah. some things about the company you work for and, and how to be a leader, I yeah. think. Is there still a lot of those people that you worked with back then still there, around? Absolutely. Kind of oh, yes. There's a lot of them still around. And uh, yeah, one of them just, uh, she's now a, a 
a group leader of our fire uh, of our fire production area and just celebrated her 25th anniversary and I was telling her you know you've taught me so much you know by giving me that opportunity right. that summer to really yeah. learn as a team leader so yeah right I hard. was I was blown away when I, I visited there as well last year for mm-hmm. the the BDU. Yeah, some of the tenured people that are there have been there a long time. Yes. Oh yes. So and that speaks volumes to a company. Yeah, we have one woman who just celebrated in June her forty sixth anniversary with Bullard. So wow. Yeah, she's the longest standing uh, employee, which is pretty awesome. That's really yeah, cool. That's really great. So we'll move into um, more of the industry and the product a little bit. So how do you see? How, how safety has evolved over the last 100 years. I know that's a long time. That's right. how long you guys have been around. Right. There's been a lot of evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what were some of the some of those advancements and what are those things that you've seen in the last 100 years? Yeah. Not you personally, but Bullard. <laughs> um, so I would say that one of the things that we're most proud of at Bullard is that safety is really in our DNA. We've been making safety equipment since before safety was required. So it was really progressive workplaces and employers who were buying hard hats and then buying respiratory protection because uh, they weren't they didn't have to uh, and so OSHA which you know was signed into law December of 1970 went into law in 1971 that was probably one of the biggest advancements I guess I would say in safety in terms of employer the government recognizing that employers really had a responsibility it was a requirement yeah it was a requirement that you really employers had a responsibility to their employees to keep them safe on the job that that was really important. And so you'll see, you know, there were a lot of manufacturers that came in to be, uh, came into the industry after OSHA because obviously that opened up a lot of opportunities. What we're really proud of is we've been around since way before that, since 1898, and then manufacturing since 1919. So we've been feeling that safety was really important to employers from the beginning. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, many times, I was in the U.S. Navy, and what they Thank always you. said, thanks, Thank you for, thanks yes. for that. Thank you. Thanks for that, everybody. Um, we, a lot of what we learned uh, was because somebody died. Okay, so all of our publications and our procedures and the way that you kind of approach everything, there was an accident. Something bad happened, um, which turned into this new procedure and new process. My question to you, kind of that, that being said, product-wise, is there a single development uh, over the last hundred years, product-related that totally changed it outside of the hard hat. I mean, we know about that one, but if, would you pinpoint something that was kind of a like a revolutionary piece, Bullard or not? I'm just safety industry in general. Yeah. So in terms of product, what what, what I would say to that is probably material science technology has been probably one of the biggest advancements. So if you think about the capabilities of products today, they are very much enhanced from the original. Mm-hmm. Products. I mean, when you think about lighter, it, stronger, lighter, stronger. So when you think about even just plastics, right? Like, like these hard hats like these, sitting yeah. in front of us. Yeah, these hard hats are um, are very different from you know the canvas and leather hard boiled hard hats earlier. The the kind of baseline technology of having a suspension and having a shell is still the same, but the material science allows them to be really rugged, really flexible, more affordable too, so that more people can have them, Mm -hmm. uh, can have the safety equipment that they need, um, and they're very protective. So, and you mentioned the, the Navy and deaths. I mean, the standards were originally, so there were original standards many years ago that weren't required by law necessarily. And those were about, you know, hammers dropping from six feet, you know, just kind of real life protection kind of examples. And uh, in the 1950s, the 
military did some studies on cadavers and about what's the amount of force that it takes to break the neck or break the spinal, right. which is pretty um, not very pleasant to think about. They but that's right, well, right. The, the cadavers are, are not harmed. Um, but but the standards now are really about the force transfer. When I'm thinking about head protection, which does you know have an effect on respiratory protection too, that has head protection. But uh, it's about the transfer of force to the neck column, so that yes, it'll hurt. You'll be you know sore, mm-hmm. but you'll be okay. You'll live. You'll be able to yes. survive. Exactly. You won't be a publication or a new safety standard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, well, cool. Um, how do you view today's safety industry? How, what do you think of the health of the current safety industry is yeah. today? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so I think that the mission to improve worker safety and workplace safety is never ending and ever evolving. So I think there's still a lot of opportunities there. Um, I'd say that there's a lot more awareness right now about the importance of safety. And I think corporations and employers recognize that you can think about the, the acute incident of safety, you know, when you think about oh, protecting from an object falling on your head, from breathing something that could really harm you, uh, to kind of a, a, a more overarching theme of safety, which is really uh, productivity, is really important. You know, if you want to, you want workers to be productive, and and their uh, safety equipment is only going to be effective when it's worn, right? So, if you want a worker to feel confident and productive, they have to be comfortable. And so the personal protective equipment really has to be comfortable, it has to be easy to use. Uh, it also has to be designed in a way that makes people feel good about wearing it. So I think the safety industry is really responding to those trends. Uh, and I think workers have a lot more influence over what kind of safety equipment they wear. I mean, people are doing research on their own. They're aware of what's out there maybe uh, and what they want to look like. And they have a little bit more say. Uh, so I think in the safety industry is responding to that. Right. Those are great points. I mean, most of the time when we peop- we see people uh, with a lack of safety equipment or procedures, it's because it's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, I don't know, today maybe they want to always be as comfortable as it is like sitting at home in their bathtub. Mm-hmm. And it's not realistic. You know, right. there is some inconvenience to it at times. But the better we get at it... Um, the safer people are going to be, and to your point, the more productive. Absolutely. Because they're not going to be b- very productive if they fall off a ladder or something falls on their head or they're overheating or yeah. what have you. And we recognize as a personal protective equipment manufacturer, we recognize that people don't actually want to wear PPE. I think we'd all rather wear our flip-flops and right, you know, right. yeah. T-shirts and, and whatever, and, not wear and safety And be on the glasses. beach and right. not be <laughs> at work at all. And uh, Chelsea. But, Easy. <laughs> But it's, but it's necessary to keep you protected. And so it's really important, again, as I was saying, that ease of use, the comfort, and then the design, too. People want to look they want to look good in, in and look professional when well, they're going to these work. These look great. I mean, they're personalized. I mean, yeah. so I think the fact that uh, you can kind of modify things to, to make it look like something you would want to wear or at least maybe something that's designed for your company to more yeah. personalize it. And then that company having, you know, the best practice that, hey, you're required to wear A, B, C, and D. Absolutely. So, but they look good. Yeah. He's referring to the hard hats on the table here. They well, look we great. are videotaping. In case you're not watching, <laughs> you're only audio. They look fantastic. They're beautiful. And they're red and black, the best colors. Here. There. Yep. Hard hats. <laughs> there they are. Um, so among other safety companies or some of your competitors, Wells, what sets Bullard apart? Okay, so 
Bullard, uh, we were really customer focused. So what I was talking about about my great grandfather and how he approached kind of innovation and uh, differentiation. It was really about it was really customer driven. And we still very much have that have that focus in mind in terms of really looking at our customers, watching the end users, and thinking about what problems do they need solved. So I think that we do that really well. We really engage with um, end users in their specific use cases and applications to really try to understand what problems are they facing, what met and unneed, what met and unmet needs do they have, and how do we solve for those in a differentiated way, right? In a way that truly better solves their problems and allows them to be safer and more productive and to go home safely at the end of the day. Right. Okay, so I was just up at Bullard and it was amazing. So I kind of know some of the things you have coming out, but what new products have Bullard brought to the spray foam market? I know we saw the new helmet coming out, Mm -hmm. cooling tubes, um, you know, a lot of the st- new mass. So yeah. what, are, what, are, what are some things that you guys have going on? Yeah, so specifically for the spray foam market, um, one thing that we think is really important in the spray foam market is it can be really, really hot. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, work, the work that spray foam installers are doing can be really hot. And so we have a couple of solutions. Uh, so first of all, so we, we do supplied air respirators mm-hmm. and then also powered air purifying respirators. But for the spray foam market, more popular is the, the supplied air. And we believe in mobility. So we've got pumps that allow you to be pretty mobile with the work so that you can then hook up to a loose fitting uh, face piece that provides you respiratory protection and also doesn't require fit testing and also allows you to have whatever kind of facial hair you wish to have. Uh, so allows you, like the you two guys. Yeah. Um, and allows you to have that facial hair and allows you to uh, be really comfortable and have positive air pressure all around your face, which provides some cooling, provides comfort, doesn't tax your heart and lungs. So we've got um, what's known as an ice pump, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, allows for a mobile worker, if you're not by a compressor, where you can bring this pump and actually use a vortex cool to, uh, a cool tube mm-hmm. that allows you to have really cool air going into that helmet, uh, cooling the air around you. 15, 20 degrees. Oh, yeah. Like I could oh, yeah. Use one of those right now. I mean, oh, yeah. it is a little warm in here. <laughs> but is. on a hot day, oh, my goodness, those things are lifesavers when Mix. you're spraying foam. And, and, you know, for those guys who are in the attics and just like, heat exhaustion, and there's so many safety things, you yeah. know, for, for it's just horrible to be up there. So, yeah, I mean, a cooling device is absolutely necessary, in my opinion. And we for have these the guys. Bullard trailer here, some of those products yes. in the trailer. Absolutely. Yes. We have our. 48 foot long uh, trailer here that shows all sorts of pretty impressive it's it's really fun to walk through and and really helps kind of tell the story and allows you to try on products uh, using compressed air Mm -hmm. using a pump and a lot of hands-on demonstrations it's great it's a game changer when you can actually don a piece of equipment and feel the difference you know a a cooling device you get a 30 degree delta t out of it and i always equate that to it's 100 degrees outside, and you're sitting in your house, house. and it's 70 degrees. It's yes. at 70. It's, yep. it's really, a lot of people call it an air conditioner. And it, right, that's what right. It, feels it like. is. It, it is. It makes a huge difference. Right. It really allows you to be comfortable and, and effective in your work. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you guys have any kind of studies on increased productivity? I, I know it's a, it's a broad brush, but I'm just curious. You know, that's something that is a selling point for sure. Oh yeah. You know, cooling devices, keep your guys cool and safe and, and productive. I'm, I'm just curious if you guys have ever come across any kind of data or, or done any studies or anything. And I feel like that if, 
if we had that data for the business owners, they'd be more likely to be like, hey, you guys need to wear this. Like, think, this is very important. It's a necessity. I think that's right. a great point. I think we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence for that. I was just talking with somebody yesterday about, uh, you know, people working up in an attic spraying foam and having to take breaks every five minutes, you know, because mm-hmm. it's 102 degrees up in the attic and having to take breaks because they're just, they're just too hot in there in their cartridge mass, they were just too hot and having to take breaks. So I mean, if you, we, we could probably do some math on that. It'd be and, interesting and to see, that, take a study yeah. and do that's it. A, that's a great idea. Yeah, that it might be some, I mean, 102 could be an understatement. Uh, yeah. and in Georgia, Georgia 140. Oh, well, not to mention the product yeah. itself you're spraying is 140. Oh yes. Right. So you're adding to it. Yeah. point. So now we're going to step into the safety minute. Um, and today it is brought to you by none other than Bullard. So today's safety minute, we're going to talk a little bit about spray foam rig safety. And I wanted to bounce this off you, Chelsea, real quick. What are a couple just quick safety items that uh, that we feel should be in every spray foam rig? Fresh air system. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, first aid kits, fire extinguishers, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Um Yep, smoke and fire alarms. Oh, yes. Smoke and carbon monoxide. Yep, eyewash, first aid kits. Gloves, suits. I mean, any kind of PPE. SDS. SDS. Yep. Bullard face mask. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. All that stuff. So just a note, make sure you have some of these things on your rig. It's always better to have them and not need them then need them and not have them so if uh (laughs) your spray foam rig is on fire which they burn up we've identified occasionally and you don't have a fire extinguisher there she gone that's a bad day yes she's gone so um so wells if you could leave our listeners today with one thought or one piece of advice or wisdom what would it be hmm So I would say that I think education and training is really key. I think that's what you guys, you guys do that really well uh, in terms of making sure that people understand the full context of what they're doing. From our perspective, it's about understanding the full context of hazards and how you can protect workers from those hazards. So I think I would just leave the the audience with, uh, you know, really think about how do you understand hazards that your workers are being exposed to, and that's holistic, from the environment to the specific acute situational hazards that might exist, and how do you then educate and make it easy for your for your workers to be safe. So that, again, the goal for all of us is to allow workers to go home safely at the end of the day right. to their loved right. ones. And uh, and so how can you think about the hazards and understand those and then communicate those and, and educate so that people understand the why of why it's important to protect themselves from hazards and then uh, make it as easy as possible to do so. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, a couple takeaways. Actually, I, I had another quick question. Correct me if I'm wrong. I remember at BDU... Um, you talked about how people's heads were smaller back when the hard hat yeah. was invented. Is that, did I remember <laughs> that right? Is that true? Yeah. So, so we're getting smarter, right? We're, it, it has a lot to do with nutrition. So our heads are actually getting larger and they're getting longer. Really? From front to back. They're getting really? longer from front to back. And it's a lot about nutrition and yeah, diet. Nutrition. So now, I'm, now that you like said that, Aaron, well, right? you know, they they say like kids are getting those little horns in the back of their head, like oh. their skull. Only in Georgia. <laughs> only in Georgia. <laughs> no, the, your skull is actually creating like a little more piece of bone 
and these children because they're like this all the time. Oh. So now I'm like, wow, I'm under if I'm like 100 years. Are we going to have to change the back of this hard That's hat? interesting. Well, we'll be, we'll be watching that. We'll be, we'll be paying attention in 100 years. You can't years take credit for that. You can't yeah. take credit. <laughs> it's on video. <laughs> it's documented. It's documented. Yeah. That's horns. We're growing horns. Yeah. Look it up. Look it up. We'll maybe edit that part out. <laughs> Uh, no, that was some great facts. It's an amazing story. I love the fam. I love American family business stories like that. Well, just the history with is. the Golden Gate Bridge and the you know inspiration from being in the war. It's, yeah. it's a cool story, yeah. and it's a phenomenal place. If just to go visit it and see it, you got to find those diaries. I know there are. Now some. I bet there you're right. And you know we feel really lucky. I mean, we get to think about this for the long term. We're 121 years young, we say, a fifth generation, and my job is to steward this into the future. And we're really proud to be family owned and intend to be that way for for the long term because it allows us to really think about long term. And safety is all about long term. Has you know protecting people for the long term. So right and fun. And I fun. learned and fun. Safety, safety can is fun. Be fun. Safety, safety is, is fun. fun. So, well, hey, thanks for being here today, Wells. Uh, we're thrilled you could join us. Thanks for the support to IDI. And we look forward to a long partnership with Bullard. Uh, I think I think you guys are doing some awesome things for our industry and helping make people more comfortable, stay safer, so that our industry can grow as well. So thanks again. And please listen to our value and drop us a line. Let us know what you want to hear about, any topics, Um, any products um, things like that we can talk about and we're happy to do so but we may not know about it unless you tell us so that's it for today hey great job Travis I appreciate it (laughs) good co-host and a good great guest thank you yes this is really fun yes thanks you Chelsea oh it was my pleasure my pleasure yep time to get out of this boiling hot room (laughs) figure out some ventilation we could use a bullard we could use some spray helmet here thing yeah we'll put on HMXs and some cool tubes maybe we should have done it that way we should have that would have been been great for video it would have So, again, I'm Aaron Franzine at IDI. Thanks for listening and set them up, Joe. This has been a presentation of the Seller Die Network. For more podcasts that you can take out into the street and turn into money, visit SellerDieNetwork.com.